Graham Roundtree has been announced as uh, the new coach of Munster Rugby. That was such a big momentum changer for me. The Red 78 with Alan Quinlan and Neil Briggs. Subscribe to the Rugby Channel on the OTB Sports app and turn on your notifications now. The Football Show on Off The Ball. With Sky. Watch Premier League, Women's Super League, EFL, Scottish Premiership and much more. Live on Sky Sports. I'm prepared to end it my can. Well, do it then. Do it then. What about your start to the game? I was, it wasn't bad, was it? <laughs> Why should it be an honest answer be a mistake? How can a modern day manager not have a mobile phone? Why should he? You're welcome along. It's Thursday's football show. Nathan with you this evening. Now, Stephen Ward has had a brilliant career. 20 years as a senior professional footballer. 50 caps for the Republic of Ireland. 170 appearances in the Premier League. Scored his first ever Premier League goal at Anfield. And now at 36, he's decided. Feet up, money in the bank. Where did it all go wrong, Stephen? Hey, Nathan. How you doing? How are you keeping? Congratulations. Yeah. Yeah, not too bad, mate. Um, yeah, I don't know if you do congratulate someone when they they hung them up, um, but yeah, no, it's done now. Um, listen, happy enough for my decision. The time was right. Um, I'm getting on now, and and the body and mind have, have been telling me for a few weeks it's been time. So right, um, just just felt it felt right. Uh, not much to play for in the last couple of games, and while I'm sort of healthy and fit, I thought it was it was the right time to walk away. So talk us through the decision then. You've been playing with Walsall. Uh, you're 36 at this stage. So I just say it's getting to that time, I'm sure, where you're you're thinking about your future. Was this the first time where you'd sat down and thought about retirement or was it a, a year-on-year process over the past couple of seasons? Yeah, you're probably right. So it was probably a, a year-on-year thing. And I think last year, um, last year was a difficult season. Um, obviously, it was at Ipswich. Covid was was very much involved. There was no fans. Um, it was difficult playing in front of empty stadiums. So I always had that desire to play one more year at least. So when obviously Matt Taylor called me, who I'd played with at, at Walsall, uh, it was a no-brainer really. I was I was excited to go down. It's it was it's 15 minutes from my house. Um, good club, good infrastructure. Um, you know, met the manager. Was was really happy with with you know his ambition for the season and uh, yeah it, it ticked every box so for me it was it was a no-brainer um, I think more so as the season went on and, and, and getting after Christmas I, I picked up a couple of niggling injuries and um, found it a bit more difficult to come back from them and, and that's when you sort of know and I, I think you know I'm 37 in August and, and I just felt the time was right You've experienced such unbelievable highs during your career from scoring your first ever Premier League goal for Wolves against Liverpool uh, to you know representing Ireland at, at two European Championships when you're coming to the latter stages of your career and you're playing in League 2 what's that experience like what's that enjoyment level like is it a, is it a very different thing from a decade ago as to how you're going into training how you're appreciating things um, not really I think you appreciate it a little bit more to be honest um Although you're not at the level that, that you may have been in previous years, you do know you're, you're coming to the end. And, and, and I think I, I took on a little bit more of a, a different role this year. Uh, obviously, I, I was playing in the team, you know, for most of the season until I sort of picked up a couple of injuries. But I, I felt I was a bit more of that experienced professional in, in the dressing room. I felt like the players, you know, looked up to you, they listened to you, they respected what you've done in your career. And I, I quite enjoyed it. I quite enjoyed giving giving a little bit back to them in terms of what I knew and, and, and what I'd learned over the few years and 
Um, obviously, the manager I knew I played with for a year at Burnley, so you know knew him very well. He was he was great with me, and 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 I did I did really enjoy it. I've really enjoyed the year, albeit we haven't had the success that that we would have wanted on the pitch as a, as a squad. You know, when when you are coming to the end, you, you still go in every day enjoying it, knowing mm. that that you are getting close to the end. So yeah, listen, the, the level obviously is different, but. You, you know in your own heart and your own body that you don't have too many days left out on the training pitch and, and you, you want to enjoy them you want to go out you want to enjoy every game because you know you know it could be your last that not knowing your own body and how long it's going to last at 36 compared to say 26 it's probably a, a slightly different process after a game in trying to recover from a match and even during a game maybe not having the ability to do what you were once able to do what, what, what's that like? It's difficult. It's difficult to come to terms with. It. Yeah. Um, listen, I, I felt I, I coped really well at that level. Mm. Um, you know, especially experience-wise. You know, you, you can't put a price on experience and, and, and what you know in terms of the game. So, positionally, yeah. Was You're not pushing fine. right up into the opposition half too much. No, I'm probably not doing as many overlaps as, as I would have because it's probably probably took me a little bit longer to get back down the other end of the pitch. But um, no, in saying that, listen, it was great. You know, I enjoyed, you know, playing a different side of the game. Yeah, maybe I wasn't as, as up and down as I used to be. And it does get difficult because your head is still in, in a place where, you know, you see the game differently, but you, your body just can't do what it used to do. And I, I think sort of when that's starting to happen, uh, and like I said, I think the thing for me was I was picking up, especially after Christmas, we had a, a bit of a break over Christmas. I was, I was playing consistently up to the middle of December. We were playing well as a team. And then... When there was a bit of a COVID outbreak over here, we, we didn't play for a month. Um, and I think coming back after that, it just didn't suit my body too well and ended up picking up a couple of, not not serious injuries, but ones that you know probably took me a little bit longer than I would have wanted to get back from. And, and, and that probably just sort of was a writing on the wall for me. When did you play your best football? Uh, uh, I would say couple of periods and a really good period at Wolves when I probably first broke into the international team before we eventually got relegated but I'd say the best period was probably my you know three or four years stint at Burnley when we first got promoted um, I think I felt you know when we first got promoted at Wolves into the Premier League not that I wasn't ready but you know it's so early in your career you, you maybe don't feel like you belong or that you are at that level and I think the, the more you progress, the, the more experience you get. I think the second time I got up at Burnley, uh, I, I felt like I belonged. I felt more at home in the Premier League. And listen, that comes at age with experience. And um, But definitely, yeah, that, that was probably four or five years at Burnley were, were, were um, probably the best part of my career in terms of where I was at mentally, physically, and uh, was probably able to deal with the, the rigours of, rigors of the Premiership a lot more than I was maybe when I first got promoted at, at Wolves. That the second time you went up with Burnley there must have been a time where you wondered whether that was happened because I mentioned earlier on the show we were doing a commentary together at Anfield uh, I think it was very yeah. early in Jurgen Klopp's reign and it was around December 2015 and you were out of the Burnley side at that time and I remember talking to you and you were sort of unsure because we were six months away from the European Championship finals 
and with Sean Dyche when you were out you were out and when you were in you were in and it wasn't really a case of doing well at training that if the left back was playing well you just weren't going to get in and you were sort of thinking about do I need to go on loan or you know have that chat with the manager and I think it was a week later there was an injury and you come in and you play something like 80 games in a row that uh, I don't want to say a stroke of luck but one injury at the right time gives you this brilliant flourish to your career around 16, 17, 18 yeah, yeah, hundred percent. And I think you hit the nail on the head. I think I'd finished the previous season with a broken leg, um, and I only come back, I think, for the last five or six games. So I hadn't played a lot. And obviously, the team that finished that season, we 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 were relegated that first year in the Premier League. And that first couple of you know three or four months of the Championship season, I, I hadn't played. The, the manager had kept the team, and listen, that's the way Sean Dyche was. He was loyal to his team. If the team was playing well you know you stayed in the team and I think it was Michael Duff that actually got an injury at centre back and, and he pushed Ben Mee from left back into centre back and brought me in around December time um, and listen you, you get in the team you have to do your best to stay in the team and I think luckily enough for me we went 23 or 24 games unbeaten and ended up winning the league and, and, and from then I, I stayed in the team for, for pretty much the, the rest of my time there on, on, probably until my last year when I was in and out a bit with, with injury and, and my knee was probably catching up on me so yeah listen you need that stroke of luck I, I was looking towards the Euros and you know I spoke to the manager about should I go on loan but he just said listen do I, I remember him saying do whatever you can and, and, and cover every basis you can to get in your own team and, and, and if it's not working out then you know maybe look to get out on the end of January and, and thankfully a couple of weeks later I got on the team and stayed in and I think it was one of them seasons where it was it was a lot better to have a, a really strong second half of the season to the first half of the season because obviously we were going to the Euros in the summer and uh, obviously winning promotion was, was great for us as well You had probably three, four full seasons of Premier League football, a couple with Wolves and a couple with Burnley. And I think there was one season, uh, both of them around the European Championship where with Burnley, uh, with Wolves, you played every single game that season. And then the year after the Euros in 2016, you play pretty much every game. Like That assuredness where you're playing at a level where you're playing against the best players in the world. Is, is, that, is that an enjoyable time? Is that a lot of stress? Is that a lot of pressure with the, the intensity of the focus that's on you at that stage? It's always stressful, I think, um, when you play for a club like Burnley uh, or, or Wolves at the time when I was there. It, it, it's always stressful because the minute you get promoted, you're on such a high from getting promoted, but you're, you're, you know, you're so focused immediately turns to trying to, you know, keep your status as a Premier League player. And we had that year on year at Burnley, and, and you know, I think even after the years I've left, they've, they've been in the same situation. So. You know, we were lucky enough one season to finish seventh and qualify for Europe. That was, you know, probably one season in a million, really, for a club of, of that size. So, yeah, listen, it is stressful, but it's also enjoyable. You know, you, you take great pride in, in turning out in the Premier League every week. And, uh, you know, I think, like I've always said about my career, you don't really appreciate what you've done in your career until until probably now that I've finished. And I think when you're in the moment, you're just you're just looking at the next game, the next Saturday, the next Tuesday, where where your next performance is going to come from, where your next point's going to come from. That's always the difficult thing in the Premier League. You can look at four or five games in a row and think, oh, I don't really know where we're going to get our next point. So, listen, it's stressful but really enjoyable. And, you know, I always loved the challenge that we had there. And, and it was always a credit to the manager. I think, you know, as much as, as you were worried about 
you know, performing and making sure you stayed in the team or making sure the team got the right result. He was always the one that calmed everything down, kept us all, you know, on a level, a level playing field and, and making sure that if we worked as hard as we could in training, he always believed that we get the results. And in my time there, we always seemed, no matter how gloomy it looked or how much we were getting written off, we were always able to come up with big results and, and make sure that we, we regained our status every season in the Premier League. It is one of the great managerial jobs of the last decade, what Sean Dyche was able to do with Burnley and though it looks as though they've managed to go on without him, it was still such a shock when Burnley decided to get rid of him. What was the magic of, of Dyche? Was it was it the man management or was it tactically on the training ground? A, a bit of both, to be honest. And, and I've always said that two of the you know, most honest people I've ever met in football and, and was Mick McCarthy that I had at Wolves and, and, and Sean Dyche at... Um, Burnley, two very similar characters, uh, very much from uh, you know a similar era in terms of, of of the eras that they played and how, how they went about their business. You know, honest as the days long. You know, you always knew exactly what they wanted from you when you stepped on that field, and and you also knew that if you gave everything, whether you had a good game or not, if you you know tried to to perform as they wanted you to perform or, or do what they'd asked you to do you, you knew you had a good chance of staying in the team and you know I think every player will tell you in the world that the most important thing you offer your manager is honesty and you know they, they were unbelievable at it you know got an unbelievable dressing room together both at Wolves two of the great you know, to the, the great dressing rooms that I played in was was my time at Wolves and, and my time at Burnley. Really similar dressing rooms, really similar characters, and you know you wouldn't have got away with being a bad character in a Sean Dyche or a Mick McCarthy dressing room. So, you know they they led the way um, with, with how they conducted themselves and how they wanted their players to play. And and I always think that you know a sign of a good team is when they mirror their manager and mirror how how they are as a person. And I think both of them teams really mirrored. Uh, the values of, of, of both managers and, and you know that, that really started with you know hard work work ethic honesty um, and just giving everything you can and, and I think that's always what I tried to do in my career you know I always said I got whatever I could out of my body whether whether that was good enough for some people or not I, that, you know I felt I gave everything I could for the talent that I was given and you know I think that took me a long way That must give you enormous comfort now as you sit here retired that actually maybe there's the odd regret along the way but there's there's nothing that's by the sounds of it that keeps you awake at night ah, listen there's always regrets there's always games that you you, you maybe played in you shouldn't have played in through injury and, and, and probably didn't do yourself justice but I was always one of them types of people Nathan you know if I felt I could get myself out there I'd get myself out there to help the team you know and, and, and I'd give what I could you know with the talent that I had and, and you know, I always felt I never, I never left any stone unturned in terms of preparation. You know, work in the gym, uh, how I lived at home, preparation, uh, and that's all you can do as a footballer. If you can, if you can leave a, a game or every season knowing that you've put absolutely everything into it, um, you can have no regrets. You know, of course things are going to not go your way, and you're going to have bad games, and, and things are going to go against you. You'll have, you know, bits of bad luck on the way. Um, but as long as you know in your own heart and your own head that you've worked as hard as you can to, to get what you can from your body, then then you can have no regrets. And, and I'm incredibly proud, incredibly proud of, of what I've done. You know, like I said, I, I give absolutely everything for every team I played. Um, you know, 
tried to try to give exactly what the manager wanted from me and you know sometimes it doesn't go your way but you know as long as as long as you've tried your best and, and, and given everything then you know you can ask no more of yourself it was often thrown at Sean Dyche that he was you know very old school he was probably one of the few managers still playing a 4-4-2 in the Premier League and I don't know whether that was fair or unfair when you were playing with him would you have looked around at other clubs and thought maybe we should be trying something different maybe maybe you know there's a there's a better there's a more attractive way of playing um, not really I think as a defender I always enjoyed how he played um, you always had plenty of protection you had a team you know that worked incredibly hard in front of you which, which you know as a defender maybe the, the, the forward players might have wanted a bit more open attractive type of football but listen as a defender you want to defend you want to keep the ball out of your net and you know it suited me to the ground but I think the one thing I'd always say about you know the, the, you know Sean Dyson's managerial style he never had any complaints because what he was doing was working for us even when things weren't going great he believed in his philosophy you know got the lads on board and, and we believed in what what he was doing and, and I think what really summed him up as a, as a person my first year was in the Premier League with Burnley we obviously got relegated. I remember the, being in the in the meeting room the day before the last game of the season. We were playing Aston Villa away. We'd already been relegated. And he just, he didn't have any tactics on the board. He just stood up in front of us and he said, listen, let me tell you now, lads, this summer you're going to have agents, people ringing you, telling you I've got you move here, there and everywhere. He said, but if you want to be part of this journey, I will get this club straight back to the Premier League. You know, we will bring in the right people for whoever goes. But if you want to be you know, back in the Premier League, stick with us and, 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 and be part of this journey. And, and I remember going into that game thinking it didn't even feel like we'd been relegated. You know, there wasn't a lull, there was nothing. We came back pre-season, everyone was, you know, boiled in, a, in good spirits and, you know, he was true to his words. So when that happens and, and someone's words come true like that, it's, it's very difficult to go against what, what he's saying and, and you, you, you tend to, to back him or, or want to run through a brick wall for him. When you go through the years in the Premier League, what are the matches that stand out? I, I presume scoring against Liverpool, like to get your first, like that is the stuff I'm sure as a kid you dreamed of. Yeah, massive. My, my whole family was Liverpool fans. Well, on my mum's side, um, I was actually a Man United fan. My dad was a Spurs fan. Don't ask me how that happened. And but he was a Spurs fan. I was I was a Man, I was a Man U fan because um, I was left footed and, and Ryan Giggs was my hero back in the day. But my whole mum's side were, were Liverpool fans. And yeah, listen, it was a dream. It, I, I remember it being, um, I think it was just around Christmas time, the 28th, the game usually after Boxing Day, maybe I think between Boxing Day and New Year. My dad was over, my father-in-law was up at the game. And I actually wasn't even supposed to play up sort of that, that end of the pitch. And, and we had a bit of a striker crisis at, at Wolves at the time. I think we had two or three lads out injured. And Mick being Mick wanted to play 4-4-2. He, he felt he wanted two strikers up the pitch to cause Liverpool problems. And he uh, obviously knew my background, knew when he signed me that I, that I uh, used to, to play up front. And um, yeah, just said to me, listen, but I remember him pulling me in the hotel saying, I'm going to play up front with, with Silva Lee Banks Blake. And his words were, just run around and, and <laughs> cause carnage. And I was like, yeah, no problem. Um, little did I know it scored a winner. And yeah, yeah, listen, massive moments, obviously scoring against Chelsea on the opening day of the season for Burnley when they were current champions was was huge. And I, I think the games that stick out are always the ones that you do well against the, the top four, you know, they're, they're on a different level. Um, 
I don't think a lot of people realise the difference in, or the gulf that, that you're actually playing against. But when you go and get a result against these types of teams, it's it, it's not a better feeling. And, um, I think any win in the Premier League, you just savour because, you know, you know you can get home and you, you can relax for a week. There's usually a week between games in the Premier League and, you know, you, you can live off that win for a week usually. There's such kudos as well for teams that struggle for those victories against the giants of English football. Was there always a, a different atmosphere on a Wolves training ground or a Burnley training ground when you were playing a Liverpool or Manchester United or Chelsea that, that everybody knew there was a, you know, this isn't a, a run-of-the-mill Burnley against the team in 10th type game. Actually, the eyes of the world are on you here. Um, Yeah, I, I think so. I probably didn't notice that until uh, I remember... I don't. I don't know if they still do it now, Nathan. But they do. They still show a three o'clock game back at, at home. On they a, do, on yeah, Saturday. yeah, yeah. So obviously, obviously, they don't show it over here. And I remember one of our first years at Wolves, we played Tottenham at White Hart Lane, um, and it was probably that game then that I realised how, how big it was. I think we went down one one nil. Um, I had a fairly decent game um, at left back, and and I just remember that my phone after the game was just going wild, and and I was like. I couldn't believe that amount of people had seen the game live, and I think from that moment on, you realise when you play one of the big, the big teams, you know, the, 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 not not the eyes of the world, but for me, it was the eyes of Ireland and Dublin, and you know, anyone over here, you know, was always the, one of the first games on Match of the Day, and you grow up watching Match of the Day, dreaming of being on it, and, and you knew the minute you played one of these teams, you're first on, so you're desperate not to make a mistake, to do yourself justice, and and hope the game doesn't end as as crudely as some of them come but massive games like unbelievable places to play and I'm really privileged that I had, had the experience of playing against it, them teams over you know a number of years What player did you hate playing against? Uh, I've been asked this quite a lot actually um, I would say for me in terms of the you know the sort of it might surprise you a little bit because when I when I tell people my answer they, they usually expect someone they usually expect a Hazard or a you know De Bruyne or a Sterling but for me the, the, the one I suppose going up against in, in as natural as it can be as a, as a right sided player was probably Willian at Chelsea I always found him you know really really tough to play against he was so sharp so strong so quick and you know just didn't give you a minute even when you were at the ball he, he, he pressed so he pressed really well from the front so he, he was always he was tough to play against but um, listen, there's so many, uh, you know, thankfully a lot of the, you know, Salah was obviously excellent, but a, a lot of the, you know, big players in them days used to play on the, on the left-hand side <laughs> and cutting on the right. So I got away with it a few times. Just a few times. Uh, stick with us, Stephen. We do need to take a break, but I do want to chat about Ireland as well. Uh, it's Manchester United won, Chelsea won in the final minute at Old Trafford and in the Europa League semi-final uh, West Ham 2-1 down at home against Eintracht Frankfurt and it's scoreless between Leipzig and Rangers while in the Europa Conference League it's now one all between Leicester and Roma while Feyenoord lead Marseille by three goals to two it is the football show on this Thursday night uh, it's brought to you by Sky don't miss Leeds against Manchester City on Saturday night football it's live only on Sky Sports Stephen Ward is with us you can get your text into 53106 we'll take a quick break Full-time whistle just gone at Old Trafford. Manchester United won, Chelsea won. Chelsea went in front midway through the second half through Marcus Alonso. Cristiano Ronaldo equalised instantly, but a very forgettable game. Uh, 
at Old Trafford and Manchester United's top four hopes if they weren't dead and buried already they most certainly are now West Ham still 2-1 down against Eintracht Frankfurt in the Europa League semi-final there's 15 minutes left in that still scoreless between Leipzig and Rangers and Leicester have equalised against Roma 1-0 in the Europa Conference League semi-final 5-3-1-6 is the text number uh, former Republic of Ireland international Stephen Ward is with us following his retirement last week uh, Stephen we might talk about Ireland then and coming in to the squad under Giovanni Trapattoni 2011 scoring on your debut in the Nations League uh, against Northern Ireland like coming in under a Trapattoni and the comparison with a Mick McCarthy or a, a Sean Dyche like the confidence it must give you that someone of his experience and success almost instantly trusts you that when you come into the squad that he gives you that position in the starting team and you can go to a Euro 2020 finals what a year later as first choice uh, what, what was the, the working relationship like with Trapattoni? Yeah, I think it was. Um, I think, like everyone said, he was he was he was unique. He was obviously so well respected. Um, I'd obviously been playing in the Premier League for quite a while, and um, I sort of waited waited a long time to get into the squad. Um, but yeah, when I went in, the, the sort of uh, I suppose the, the rise I had to get into the team was 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 really quick, and and, and I really really appreciated his trust in me. Really enjoyed working with him. It was it was a great environment, and. Um, you know, not not only the manager, I think the players that were in there and, and we were so lucky to have, you know, the experienced group that we had. For me, it, it, it was it was an absolute pleasure to come in and, and, and play with these players, players that I'd grown up watching and had dreamed of playing. And like I said, as every kid says, to, to pull on that green shirt just once in your career is, you know, that moment when, when I made my debut is, is by far the, the, the greatest achievement of my career and, and, and you know, I, I couldn't even put anything I think up there with it. So, you know, for him to give me that opportunity, I'll, I'll, I'll always forever be grateful and and love love my time working uh, and playing under him. With everything that's sort of emerged and players retiring and talking about that time, it seems around 2011, 2012, maybe the the peak of Trapattoni was just sort of coming to an end. Uh, particularly by the time it got to Euro 2012, and a sense that I don't know was were people almost a little bit fed up with the style of play and obviously the tournament itself doesn't go the way anybody wanted what was it like through the tournament where again you're you're doing what you wanted to do you're one of your proudest moments playing for Ireland at a at a major finals and and then it, in many ways it just goes so horribly wrong yeah listen it was difficult I think um, you know for me it was probably early in my career as an international so it, you know listen I think when, when I look back at it you know, you, you take a, a lot of experience from it. You, you take experience from from the good times, the bad times, and yeah, it was difficult. I think, you know, if you look at the group that we got, I think people underestimate how difficult it was. Mm. I think at the time, we had, you know, three of the top ten in the world in our group. But I don't think we could have been drawn in in a harder group if 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 we'd have tried really. And I think, you know, it, it's probably the equivalent nowadays getting France, England and Germany in your group and expecting to go there and do something. So yeah, listen, it didn't go well. We we probably just weren't at the level that we needed to be. I think we probably got away with how we played and, and our team spirit for you know, a long time and, and, and obviously when you get to the to the to them finals it, it's the cream of the crop, it's the best of the best. And like I said, that group that we had was was, was unbelievably hard. I don't think you know, when it was drawn, we probably realised ourselves how difficult it was and, and, you know, the type of opposition we came up against. We, we probably played the greatest 
Spanish international team ever that's ever existed. Mm. One of the probably greatest international teams that's ever existed. You know, Italy were up, up there in, in the top four or five in the world and, and Croatia at the time, I think, I'm sure I think they were number eight. So, you know, probably couldn't have been a tougher draw and, and, and it just didn't go well. And, you know, it was one of them things, you, you, you know, for whatever reasons, it, it didn't go well. And, you know, you have to dust yourself off and, and, and regroup and, and, and try to go away and, and learn from it. And against Spain, like as you say, in the conversation for the greatest international side there's ever been, and you don't want to be on the wrong end of a beating. But I'm sure there's matches that you look back on and think, "Oh, we could have done this, or we could have done that." Is that one of those games where sometimes you just got to hold your hand up and say, "Like these, these were on a different level." No matter what preparation we had done, no matter what eleven we had put out, there's probably nothing you could have done that day. No, and to be honest with you, I think what probably hit the nail on the head was two of the teams in our group got to the final mm. and Spain still ended up beating Italy 4-0 and you just think that's how far ahead they were and you know we even had Italy in our group and they still got to the final so listen it wasn't meant to be the draw could have been kinder to us yes we could have played better um, you know things could have gone better for us but you know for whatever reason it didn't I thought we probably you know, as we do as a nation, we, we, we tend to, to overachieve for the size of our nation and, and, and to, to qualify in, in itself is a massive achievement. You look at, you know, other countries of our size, how difficult they've, they they have found it over the years to qualify, you know, no no less Scotland and, and, and Wales, for example, and, and we tend to do it on, on a much more regular basis. So I, I think we deserved a lot of credit for qualifying. I think the group just, you know, wasn't... It wasn't to be, and, and, and the draw we got was really unkind to, to give us any chance at all. Euro 2016 then obviously very different, and it gave gave everybody a moment. Like It gave everyone that sort of Ray Houghton or an Italian 90 moment with Robbie Brady's goal where you can remember where you were when that moment happened. Like To have that, to be able to look back in your Ireland career in the 50 caps and think, you know, that goal is probably still going to be played in 50 years' time, and you know I was right there. Yeah, unbelievable. And and there was a different feel about 2016. I don't know what it was. Um, they just something just felt different. Uh, listen, obviously the, the the group we had a still a tough group, but there, there just was a different feeling. And 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 obviously I think that first game probably gave us all the confidence to to think that we could actually do something at the tournament. Belgium were obviously you know was a difficult game, but then to come back and, and win that Italian game was. I think what made it even more special, I think, was was one. Of the, I think it was probably the last, one of the last group games in in the whole of the group stage, and everyone was waiting to see the result to see who would play who, and and uh, so so the whole eyes of Europe were on it, and yeah, it was an unbelievable night. You know, one of the greatest of my careers, and um, you know, Robbie's a great friend of mine, and for mm. him to score a goal and, and and be part of that was was just unbelievable. And even the France game was as difficult as it was to go out and. and and be defeated. I think to play a home nation and, and run them as close as we did, take the lead, be, be winning a half time, you know, the whole, the whole thing we had, I think we had a, a, a three or four day turnaround compared to their six or seven, you know, the, the fans, the, the, the moment at the end with the fans was, yeah, it, it was incredible, incredible night, uh, incredible tournament and um, by far one of the highlights of my career. What was the dressing room like afterwards? Like my memory of that night is obviously just the intense heat, the real intensity of the occasion, and uh, the delirium of everybody afterwards. When you get back in, and players across all sports talk about the moment when you shut the door in the dressing room and it's just ye, and you've qualified for the knockout stages of a major tournament. Is there anything that stands out around that night? I was just going wild in there, as far <laughs> as I remember. I don't. I don't think we could. Um... 
I think we've lost you, Stephen. It's gone, you've gone wild again. There? Yeah, we're still, still here. We're still yeah. here. Yeah, you can hear us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it was, it was, it was just madness. I think everyone was. Not that we didn't believe that we could do it ourselves, but I think, I think after the Belgium game and, and how disappointing that was, you know, we were more or less written off a little bit, and we we knew within ourselves that we had the capabilities of getting a result, and and, and like we do as as a nation, um, you know. We're such good underdogs, and, and and we come out fighting. You know, we're so proud to play for our country, and that's the one thing I'd always say about the Irish national team meeting up. You know, there's no prouder group of men to, to come in and 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 represent that country and, and put that shirt on. So we knew no matter what happened, we'd we'd leave everything out there. And I, I just remember the, the elation and, and and the celebrations in in afterwards. And I think it was Martin O'Neill, one of the staff said, "Don't worry, lads, it's only France in, in four days or three days," and brought us back down to earth a bit. And, and we we had a bit of a long bus journey back to our base from uh, from Leo but yeah unbelievable night and, and, and obviously then then you switch on straight away knowing that you got another game coming up but there was that sense that that you were able to enjoy it on that bus journey back and and even Martin and Roy and listen we you know we all see the way that Roy reacts to celebrations at times but even for them that this was a moment that yeah France were coming down the track but you're just going to enjoy it for the night that's in it Hundred percent, and the two of them were brilliant the whole tournament. They, they were probably one of the main reasons we got through that game. To be honest, um, they gave us so much belief. You know, you know, Roy is so passionate about Ireland doing well. Um, you know, he was so passionate about us going out there, giving everything, fearing no one. Uh, same with the France game. You know, they gave us a belief that we could go and win that game. Regardless of who we were playing, you know, the home nation. I think they had probably eight percent of the crowd because they knew where they were playing before we'd even qualified. But the Irish, as they always do, somehow got in there, and, and there seemed to be more of a 60-40 um, in favour of the French, the French supporters. But even that game, we we had belief from from them. And I remember the night before the game, they just said, "Listen." It's two teams. It's just, you know, put them under a bit of pressure, and obviously we got the early goal with Robbie. And of course, the, the end of the, the end of the term was tinged with disappointment, and that was a quiet dressing room, completely different to the Italian game. But you know, we we, we went home with our heads heads held high. We we'd given everything we could, and we just came up against a better team a team on the day. You've obviously seen both sides of Roy. Can I just ask you what was the best side of him? Actually, because you know people look at him now on the television and there's talk again about him potentially coming back in as a coach and we're all aware of the any amount of stories that are there but the best side of Roy Keane that you saw what was it? To be honest he was great with me um, he, he was really great and, and great with a lot of the lads you know he's he's very good company um, you know you can listen to him all day talking about football he's got some great stories he, he's very good company and listen his passion to play for Ireland is, is, you know, for people playing for Ireland, for Ireland to do well is something that you've 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 just not experienced. You know, maybe sometimes he lets that go overboard because of how high his standards are. But you know, he wants Ireland to do well. He, he wants players to do well. And and the one thing I'd always say is, you know, from my point of view, when he spoke to me, is he always just wanted people to give 100%. And if you give 100%, regardless of how you do in the game, you know, he, he seemed happy enough. And, you know, like I said, you know, I've seen good sides of him and, and obviously I had, a, I had some bad sides of him as well. But all in all, I think when you strip it all back, you know, during that time when he was even as Ireland assistant manager, he, he was great with me and, and, and a, real, a real good person to be around. You've spoken on this show a couple of times before about 
the WhatsApp. But even today, when we were <laughs> discussing the fact you were coming on, it's, Jesus, we're going to have to ask about it again because it was even last week it's in the papers and the fallout. And was it the reason that Declan Rice didn't end up playing for Ireland? How big a part of your life is it? Is it something you look back and go, Gee, how, like, how did that happen? Is this something that I'm still going to be asked about in 10 years' time? No, it doesn't bother me anymore, to be honest. You're past um, it. Yeah, it was just something with me and my mates and obviously, you know, so, someone someone let me down and, and, and it got out. But, you know, it was not malicious in me. I was just passing on the information that I'd heard, you know. But, nah, listen, that doesn't, it's not, nothing bothers me anymore. You know, these things happen and, you know, I don't think it affected anything else. There was, a, there was a lot of stuff out there anyway. But, like I said, I've got no problem with Roy. You know, I really enjoyed his company, enjoyed, you know, how, how he, he was with me, how he... he you know, coach me, and um, but you know, for whatever reason, you know, these things happen, and, and people like a story. I don't think it, there was there was a lot in it really. Um, so no, no, it doesn't it doesn't really bother me. It's it's one of them things. You just move on from it, and, and you know, you learn from your mistakes, and you know, it's the last thing I'll be putting in a group of people that you know you you think you can trust. But um, you know, you know, what can you do? Mm. Uh, a shame how it ended on the pitch as well. Was it the last two caps were? The Wales game, the four-one, and the the Denmark game, the five-one, and probably sums up how it all did fall apart in the end for O'Neill and Keane. That we just fell to this went into this massive crescendo before the Denmark game, where they all felt anything was possible, and it never really recovered from there. Yeah, it was difficult. It was difficult. I think um, you know results like that obviously are, are hard to take. You know, no matter what you try, no matter what you do as a team. It just doesn't seem to be your night, and um, yeah, that's just probably probably summed up the end of the end of the time, really, because we we had, you know, other than that, we had we had a really successful time together mm. as, as a group of players and a, you know, a group of staff. It was it was fantastic, and it, it just wasn't to be. Like I said, in football, sometimes things just don't go your way as much as as much as you want them to, as much as you, you know, give everything that you can. It just doesn't fall for you, and and, and you got to accept that sometimes. So. Um, you, you know, it was just one of them, one of them things. You, you know, didn't work out for us, and that was it. And, and to be honest, I was struggling with my knee at that stage. I was trying to, you know, you know, it was just probably a little bit too much for me. Keep coming away and playing and trying to stay at the level I was in my career. And you know, even after that, when I did retire, it was probably, you know, I was coming to my end of time at Burnley, and my career was was probably going to go, you know lower than the Premier League so you know I knew I was sort of coming to the end of my international career as well I was remarking earlier how uh, maybe you didn't realise at the time we'd like the Ireland left back doing co-commentaries for us back in 2015 you you obviously had an eye even then on what might be next or you just enjoyed going watching football matches uh, what is next now at 36 is I saw you on Sky last week uh, is it a role in the media is it you know have you a desire to stay in the training ground to get into coaching Bit of everything, really. I, I don't want to rush into it too quick. Yeah, of course. I, listen, I love the game. Uh, I'm so passionate about football, and it, it, it's all I've known really since I since I was a kid. So, um, yeah, looking forward to you know experience something new. Um, you know, not exactly sure exactly what path I'm going to go on now. I'm, I'm, I'm doing a lot of coaching at the minute um, with, with Burton Albion Academy because more because my son's there so I've been just getting some coaching experience there and helping them out so yeah just just trying to get as much experience of, of sort of all sides of the game media 
um, you, you know, recruitment, everything else, just just networking and and hopefully, uh, as a lot of people say, hopefully I'll fall into something that I really enjoy. Yeah, well, Stephen, uh, it's been brilliant watching you over the last 15, 20 years and I'm sure we'll be seeing a lot more of you over the coming years as well. Thanks for joining us tonight. Cheers, Nathan. No problem.